my family, we have some really fun traditions. Um, or it's part of the fun part about being a family is you get to kind of, you get to take some tra- traditions that you had growing up and then you marry someone and then they bring in their traditions and then you kind of like mix and blend and make your own. One of our traditions uh, over Christmas is usually Christmas Eve because I'm always working on Christmas Eve is, is after Christmas Eve services, everything's done, we get home. And this is what the Rices do every Christmas Eve. We, wa- we, uh, we have pizza. Because that's, that's what our Christmas Eve, uh, we, it's usually Papa Murphy's Pizza, and then we watch National Treasure. Yes. I don't know. Uh, it's not even a Christmas movie, but it's just like it's our tradition. We do Christmas Eve, we have pizza, and we watch natural tre- National Treasure, right? Um, I don't know what your family traditions are, um, but I know that you've, you've got some really fun ones. Um, one of our traditions at our church is at the very beginning of the year, we always take a few Sundays to, um, instead of like preach out of this, which I normally do every, like every other Sunday of the year, um, we take a few Sundays and talk about this. What is this thing, the Bible? How do we engage it? What, what's the point of it? Can I trust it? Um, how, do I, how do I engage with it? There's so many different questions swirling around this book. And we just feel like if we're going to spend a lot of time in the year when we gather on Sundays and on our own in different small groups and our own sort of like personal study time, if we're going to spend a lot of time interacting with this book, it's just the perfect time at the beginning of the year to just kind of pause and say, okay, let's talk about this. Um, how, do we, how do we get better at this? How do we, how do we learn? How do we start with this? Um, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible book. It's still banned in some places all over the world. It's been translated into more languages than any other book's been translated into languages. Whatever language it gets trans, uh, you know, translated into and whatever culture it goes into, it transforms people. Not because they just adopt some new sets of rules at all, but it, it, it transforms people from the inside out. Um, this, this book is, is, has more copies and, you know, more distribution than any other book in human history. Um, some would say this book is the foundation of their life. It's changed my life. It continues to change my life. And then others would say this is the dinosaur. That's what's wrong with our world today. Our world would be better if we just got rid of texts like this and other sort of religious texts that other religions um, follow. So there's a lot of controversy and questions about like, what, what good is this? Is this good for the world or is it bad for the world? Um, some people um, build it as the foundation of their life and some people treat it like it's the manual to your car or the, or the rules posted by the hot tub. That's how, that's how a lot of people view the Bible is... When, 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 is the, when do you need to get, get out the manual for your car? When do you need to do that? Hardly ever, it's when you're desperate, right? It's when you're desperate. And so for a lot of people, this is the book you turn to when you're desperate. Um, or like the rules at the hot tub, you look at them and you're like, yeah, those are, I mean, it's good that those are posted, I guess. But, you know, those aren't rules that like kind of shape my life. And so a lot of people, that's, that's kind of how the Bible lands, how the Bible lands for them. Um, some of us doubt its authenticity as far as how it was translated and how it was passed on. And there's some interesting conversations about just the history behind how did this get compiled. Um, we can't answer all those. But um, here's what I know is that it's, even if you place your hope in it completely or even if you're really cynical about it, what, what's undeniable is that this is a force to be reckoned with. And that this is, it's such a unique book that it, it should cause all of us to stop and say, okay, what is this about? How can, I, how can I engage in it? Last week, I, tr- I tried to tackle the why, okay? 
Um, so if you missed last week, you just got to get online and, and look at it because we tackled some you know, big questions about like, okay, why? What, what does this book do? Because it's unique. And just to recap real quick, we said that its ability is unmatched. The Bible talks a lot about itself. One of the places like in James, James says that it's like a mirror that it's, it's, it, when we open it, it more reads us than we read it. That we look at it and we actually see ourselves rightly. James says it's, a, uh, same, it says it's like a mirror. Um, the, Psalm, the book of Psalms says that it's like a lamp, that his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So not only does it reveal us, but it also sort of like reveals the world. Um, and, then, and then in Hebrews, it talks about how this is actually a, a, a sword and not just a sword with one edge, but that it's a double-edged sword, which is a really cool metaphor for what this is. I love that it uses the double-edged thing because sometimes people can use the Bible as a weapon directed towards others. Like, you bad people, you know, like, hi-ya, you know, like, stop doing that. But I love that it's a double-edged sword because this, um, you can't just use the Bible to do this because you, the Bible's also going to do this. It like, it's not designed just to be outward focused, but it's like, first it works on us. Like the Bible just offends everyone and it's supposed to. That's how we know it's authentic because it's super easy to read the Bible in a way that just come, goes along right alongside whatever your lifestyle choices are. It's easy to read the scripture like that and just make it say what you want it to say. Um, but the Bible just refuses to be tamed like that. It won't do that. It's going to cut all of us in some different ways. And that's a good thing because we need it. We need it to cut deep. Um, so we talked about how, man, it's, it's unique like that. And also it's unique because of its origin. That this book claims, that, that Christians claim that this book is not just inspiring, but that it's inspired. That it's God's words to us, which is kind of crazy. In a little bit, it's like Christmas. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus being all man and all God, all at the same time. And how that works is just a, it's a mystery. It's unfathomable for us. And in a little bit sort of a way, that's, that's what Christians claim about the Bible, is that it's written by these, by these human beings in their particular time, in their particular context, with their particular personalities. And yet, they, they wrote it and, and, and recorded that in such a way where it's, it's the very words of God for us. It's all God and like all man put together. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of crazy. Um, but it's what Christians have, have clung to and believed. Uh, so today I just want to, I want to get a little bit kind of heady with you. Last week maybe was a little bit more heart. Today is a little bit more head. Because I want to talk about how. I want to talk about how. Because I find that the biggest roadblock that a lot of people have when it comes to the scriptures. I mean sure there's a lot of people who are just anti-Bible like oh heck no never. But I think that a lot of people are interested in, in, in kind of digging into the scriptures, but just don't know where to start or just feel like maybe like I don't have enough college degrees, you know, to be able to dig into this thing. And so maybe it's not for me. And so it's just some, for a lot of people, I think it just feels inaccessible. So today I just want to try to answer some common questions and make it, uh, make it more accessible to us. Um, if you want, if you want, at the end, I've just got, I'll just have these books up here, but these are just some books that I've been reading recently um, uh, about the scriptures and about, you know, how they were put together and how we're supposed to interact with them. So anyways, these, I would recommend these. So that's why I'm putting them here. Um, and you can look at those at the end of service if you're interested. But here's my goal. My goal is like, I, I said last week that my goal is like, um, uh, it's like a fire. Okay, you do three things with a fire. You got to start a fire, which can be hard work. Um, and then you, sometimes you have to restart a fire because it gets going and it kind of blazes up quick, but then sometimes it fizzles. 
or you, uh, or you just have to stoke a fire. You got a fire already and you have to stoke it. And I have the suspicion that all of us kind of fall into one of those three places. For some of us, you just, it's been hard to start. And maybe you, you, maybe, you know, it's just, it's just it seemed inaccessible, so you haven't started. Well, I hope today I can help get you started. Or maybe it started for you at one point and the, the, it, it blazed hot for a little bit, but then it kind of fizzled. And so you're in a place where you need to restart. And maybe you have some embers there. I just want to help blow on those embers today. And then for some of us, um, you got a fire blazing. I mean, like this scripture is a part of your life already and you just feel like really acquainted with it. But maybe, but maybe today I can help restoke um, some of the fire um, in, in your fire that's already going. So that's my goal. Um, and I can't think of a better place to take you in the scriptures that talks about the scriptures to, I think probably my favorite passage of scripture that talks about the Bible itself. Uh, and it's from the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, in this eyewitness account of, of Jesus' life, here's what's going on. Here's the context is Jesus has come. He's God in the flesh. He's shown us who he is and how he loves humanity. He's, he's shown us the, the way to be the perfect human. Jesus was like the, the new humanity, the humanity that we were supposed to be or are supposed to be but, but can't be. And he showed us the way to be human, but he knew that even though we, we couldn't attain it, so then he died on the cross so that we, he could kind of sort of cover the gap between who we're supposed to be but who we are today. And so Jesus, Jesus kind of uh, paved the way for us to have a relationship with God in a fresh, brand new way. And then, remarkably, three days later, Jesus conquers sin and death forever by rising from the dead. And so here, the, all of Jerusalem is in an uproar. Everybody's talking about it. This guy was dead and now he's, we, he's walking around. What's going on? I mean, it just turned that whole city upside down. And here's the context. Here's where we find some people. There's some guys who, uh, who have been there for all of these events. And they're, now they're walking back to their hometown or they're walking to this other town called Emmaus. And this is kind of a famous place called the, the Road to Emmaus where Jesus has this encounter with these guys. The risen Jesus has a, an encounter with these guys, and I love it. Listen, he says this. Now, that same day, two of them, these two guys, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So interesting. I don't know how they were kept from recognizing him. I doubt Jesus had a disguise on but maybe, I don't know, like, they just didn't know it was Jesus. But here's the risen Jesus, and he's walking along with them. And, uh, and then he asked them a question. I love it. He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas um, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? I mean, they're dumbfounded. They're like, where have you been? I mean, you do not, you haven't heard the news of like what's been happening. And Jesus is like, what things? <laughs> I love it. Jesus is like just playing dumb. I mean, he's, he's inviting dialogue. He's like, tell me what things. And so they say, um, they say about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all, the, and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
And the, some of their companions, uh, some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So they're, they're confused, they're dumbfounded. They're, you can tell they, they put their hope in this Jesus, but then they're shattered because it's like, then he dies. But then they just get this news that Jesus is alive. So, they, I mean, they're, they're confused. They're not sure which way is up. And they're talking about all this stuff. And then Jesus says, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then check this, if you, if you miss verse 27, you're gonna miss the heart of what the scripture is all about. If you miss verse 27, you're gonna think that the Bible is all about you and all about what things you gotta do to be good enough and right enough and you know, perform good enough for God to love you. But Jesus in verse 27, here's what he does. It says, and beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in, the, in, in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, Jesus, I mean, what a great Bible study, right? I mean, this is the ultimate Bible study. Here's Jesus and he, he's just gonna go through the scriptures with them and explain to them how it's all pointing to this moment. It's all pointing, it's all pointing to him. And then he goes on, and as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at, at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. This is such an interesting story, isn't it? I mean, just so strange. I mean, now, now like they're, they're having like this meal with Jesus and suddenly, suddenly they recognize him. Their eyes are opened and they recognize him and he disappears from their sight. <laughs> Jesus is so squirrely. I mean, I don't know why he does what he does. I mean, you just can't pin him down. I mean, he's like, I think I'll just keep moving on. But then the guys are like, no, stay. He's like, all right. You know, so he stays. And I mean, it's so, so interesting. But then get this part. I love this part. So, so that he disappears from their sight. Verse 32. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Our hearts were burning. They're just so, like this, this experience that they have with Jesus. Whenever I read this, I just feel like, God, I want, I want my heart to be burning for this. Like I want to have such a hunger. I just want to be so convinced that like I've seen you and I know you and that this has something for me, something to transform me that I just want my heart to be burning for this. And I got to admit, there have been times in my life where my, where my heart's burned for this, where it just came easy. And then there's been other times where, it's, where it hasn't felt like it's burning. Um, and I feel like what I want for my church, what I want for me this year is I want my heart to burn for this this year. And I don't want it to just burn hot and then go away. I want, I want it to have a sustained burn all throughout the year, all throughout my life. And I want that for you too. And so um, just like those disciples needed an experience, I, I hope just this morning that I can unpack some things and maybe make the scriptures a little bit more accessible to you. Start, restore, restart, or stoke, whatever the case may be. Here's the irony about this. Here's the irony about the Bible. Is that we have more access to the Bible than humans have ever had in history. And yet, and yet we're becoming increasingly unappreciative, apathetic, and indifferent towards it. So accessible. The Bible's never been more accessible to us. And yet... Our culture slowly and slowly, the Bible's becoming more and more foreign to us because of a lot of factors. 
because of our laziness, part of, part of it, but because of just like our distractions and all the things that vie for the attention and the affection of our hearts. And our hearts are so easily carried away from it. And so even though we have so much access to Bibles and content, we're engaging with it, engaging with it less. Um, last week, our, our high school leaders and our high school group took a bunch of high school kids to up to In-N-Out. And they were like, well, we're going to In-N-Out. And I was like, I'm so jealous. I want to go with you guys because I haven't gotten a chance to head up to, uh, to Kaiser where the new In-N-Out. Have you driven past, by the way, or have you been yet? I mean, it's still just insane. I mean, the wait time is crazy. Um, but they were going to take all of our high school kids up to In-N-Out. And I was talking to one of our high school leaders, Julia. And I was like, Julia, um, are you excited? Were, were you excited to, it was like Monday. And I was like, Julia, I was like, were you excited to, to go to In-N-Out? And she was like, meh. And I was like, Julia, I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> I thought we were friends. I was like, what do you mean, meh? And she's like, well, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in California. I grew up next to one. So it's like, you know, in and out's kind of, and, you know, and I get it, right? I mean, we all get it. I mean, when you don't grow up near to in and out, it's like, we got to go. But if you're around one, I mean, it's, it loses its appeal, right? It's just another burger place in some ways. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm not making any statements about In-N-Out. Um, but I feel like this, what can happen with In-N-Out happens with this. We just get so familiar with it. And then it just, we just, it loses its appeal. It loses its draw. I don't want that to happen to me. Um, so here's, uh, here's, uh, here's what I want to do. Here's some, I'm just going to dive into some practicals about this. I hope it's helpful for you this morning. Let's start from the beginning. Let's just remember this, that Jesus did not write the Bible, okay? This was, this, the story that we're in right now is not one where these came down on golden tablets and then Jesus had special glasses, you know, to like read those golden tablets. That's a different religion, all right? That's not us. Um, that's, not how the, that's not how the scripture comes to us. It's much more earthy than that. I mean, it's much more believable than that. Um, the story of the scriptures is that the Bible isn't just a book, but, and I have this in your notes, it's actually a library of books and letters written over a 1500 year period with 44 different authors on three continents using all sorts of different liter literary styles like history and law and hyperbole and metaphor and poetry and apocalyptic drama, prophecy and eyewitness reporting. And all of it culminates to create a unified story that points us to Jesus. When you open your Bible, you'll see that there's like chapter headings, you know, there's titles of the chapter, there's chapter numbers, um, and then there's verses in those chapters. Those weren't added into the scriptures until the 1500s. So kind of like pretty, pretty recently, um, you know, in, in, um, in, in the right perspective, you know, it was pretty recently ago that we got these numbers. And what that is, is like an address. It's like, you know, your street has a name and then you go down the street and then there's a number on the house. And they added those numbers because it makes it easier to find things. But before 1500, there was no chapter numbers or verse numbers. It was just, you know, it was just the story. And sometimes I feel like it would be cool to go to not have a Bible with the chapters and the verses just because uh, sometimes we piecemeal out the Bible into little tiny chunks sometimes when there's just chapters and, and, and verse numbers and we just take one verse out here and one verse out here and, you know, things that make us feel good here and the things that don't make us feel good kind of, you know, leave that on the shelf. We can tend to do that with the scriptures. We have to remember it's this one unified story that points us to Jesus. And so I wanted to show you just some slides of, of, uh, of what's contained in your Bible, all right? Uh, so. 
here's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written anywhere between 1445. This is when, you know, Moses is, is you know, Jesus says that Moses is the person that wrote those five, those first books of the Bible. And so I'm going with what Jesus says on that. Um, that goes to, 400, to the year 450 BC. And then there's this period of about 500 years where there's just no, nothing else sort of added or written in scripture, this, like, this dead sort of moment until Jesus comes onto the scene. And then we have the New Testament. The Old Testament is sometimes called the law and the prophets. That's another way that the people in the New Testament refer back to the Old Testament. They don't call it the Old Testament, we do. Um, it's a bummer that sometimes we call it the Old Testament because old communicates like lame, you know, or old, or like, or like tired or worn out or, you know, I don't know what, what old means to you, but, you know, I like the law and the prophets better. Um, and then we have all these books in the Old Testament. So the first five books right here, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's called the Pentateuch. This is the story of creation, but then it goes into the story of Abraham and this, this people that God is trying to pull out of all the other people, not so that they could be better than everyone else, but so that God could kind of show who he is and his purposes through them and that it would be a blessing to all the nations. Um, it didn't go very well. In fact, there were just ups and downs and ups and downs. And then you get into to these books over, over here. These are, uh, these are some of the historical books. And this is taking us through the, diff- the story of, of Israel and their kings. And, you know, again, I mean, this, be, just be prepared because it reads a little bit more like Game of Thrones when you read some of these chapters in the Old Testament. Because uh, it's, uh, this is not a story of like these like mighty heroes, you know, who come and do God's work and, you know, things go well for them. I mean, there's a lot of tragic stories in there and it's designed to be written in that way so that um, we don't, we're not supposed to read it and say like, oh, that's the hero that I'm supposed to follow. It's like, man, these are real people and there's like, and their lives are complicated and it's just, it, you wait in there and just much more interesting than you think it's going to be from your outside perspective. And then in the next little bit, we have uh, the wisdom books. So this, we're getting into Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the book that my brother and I secretly read. At, in church, like when we weren't supposed to, like, oh my gosh, Song of Solomon. You know, it's kind of a, like a racy book in there. Um, and then you have the prophets. So these, are, uh, these aren't like special holy people necessarily, although they were, they, were, uh, they were faithful people who God said, hey, listen, I'm going to send you with a message to the people of Israel to call them back to, to trust me again. And so these prophets, some of them were kind of weird and wacky, um, but they were sent into contexts where they were calling God's people back to trust him and faithfulness uh, to the God that has delivered them them out of slavery and giving them a new name and a new heritage. That's the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament over here. Jesus shows up onto the scene right in the middle. And then over here we have the New Testament. So the very first ones are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the Gospels. Um, the good news, these are supposed to be read as eyewitnesses or eyewitness accounts of people who were there on the ground and investigating and, you know, interviewing people and writing it down afterwards for us. This is the stories of, of, of Jesus and what he said and what he did. Um, and then you have this book of Acts right after those. And this is the very beginnings of the church. What happens when Jesus dies, he rises again. And then he says, guys, I'm, I'm leaving you to the job. I'm giving you my spirit. And then now the early church is in this context of this Roman empire and it just turns the world upside down and spreads everywhere. And the book of Acts is the story of how that happened. And then um, there's a whole bunch of other ones right here are a bunch of letters. 
written to churches that people like Peter and Paul and some others um, started. And they would start these churches of people who were faithful to Jesus. They would move on. And then they would write letters back. And they would say, hey, remember this and remember this and remember this. Remember who you are. You're the new humanity. Remember, you're called out of the old way of life into a new way of life. And so these are just beautiful, beautiful letters in the New Testament that were written to those people. But they're also for us as well. And then you get to the end of the New Testament and you get to this weird, wacky, wild book of the Revelation. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of like this kind of prophetic sort of vision of the, of the end of all things. And it's a really, uh, really interesting, interesting book. Uh, that's the anatomy of your Bible. All right. Um, that's what's going on there. Uh, here's some questions. First of all, what if I'm not a theologian? You might be asking, okay, maybe the Bible's not for me because maybe I'm not a theologian. Don't I have to be a theologian? And I don't really feel like I'm a theologian to kind of dive into this. Um, listen, here's what I'd say is I'd say the question isn't whether you're a theologian or not. Everyone is a theologian. Every single one. Um, I was talking to somebody uh, a, a ways back and they were talking about how, um, you know, they hadn't been to church in a while and, they were, and things weren't going well in their life. And they asked me, they said, Pastor, um, is God punishing me for not going to church? Things aren't going good in my life right now. And so I feel like he's punishing me for, for not showing up at church. And I got to unpack that question and I got to say, nope, that's not the kind of God that we serve. That's not what he does. That's not how he rolls. But do you know what kind of question that is that, that, that they asked me? That's a theological question. That has to do with who God is and how he interacts with people. An atheist is a theologian. The atheist has a particular idea of, of who God is and or what, he's, what he's like and what he's not like. We are all theologians. So just welcome to the club, all right? We're all there. So the question isn't whether you're a theologian. You are. The question is, do you have good theology? Do you have an accurate understanding of who God is and who you are? Um, so that's a better question to ask. What, what about this? Where should I start? What do I do or what do, how do I know what to read? All right, where do I start? How do I know what to read? Um, a lot of people use reading Bible, like Bible plans, like reading plans. So your Bible might even have one of those inside or you might have a journal. Um, there's all sorts of different reading plans. You can read the Bible in a year. You, uh, you can read through the Bible twice in a year. There's also, there, you can do like, you know, 21 days like on the road to, of, of Jesus. Like, I don't know, guys, there's so many different reading plans and Bible plans. Um, and you can find them anywhere. Just Google is your friend on this one, okay? So just Google like Bible reading plan. You're going to find all sorts of really, really good ones. A lot of people love to just kind of walk along with a reading plan. For other people, it's like, no, 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 I, wanna, I just kind of want to read through books of the Bible. That's an awesome way to do it too. Um, you should do that. You can start with Genesis. That's a good place to start. It's at the very beginning. But then you're going to get into some weird stuff. And not that it's weird, but because it might just be foreign to you. And so what I found and what a lot of people have found is a lot of people have started in the New Testament and started with the Gospels. And you could start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. All of them are really, really great to start with. A lot of people have said that starting with the book of John has been the most helpful. Just, I've talked to a ton of people who have just said, hey, if you're going to start anywhere, just start in John. And John's just going to take you through this real personal account of Jesus and his conversations. You're going to get a real clear picture of who Jesus is if you just read the book of John. And so I would suggest if you don't know where else to start and if a reading plan feels like I'm not sure where that's going to lead me or take me, just start with the book of John. Just start there. Make that be your goal. Hey, starting this year, I'm going to read the book of John. Well, just, just a little goal. Start there. That could be one of the best things that you do. Next is this, is you need to grasp the whole picture first. 
It's going to be hard to do if it, the Bible is kind of foreign to you, but grasping the whole picture first is going to so helpful when you, be helpful to you when you just get plopped into different parts of the scripture. Um, an example would be um, the Bible is a little bit like a puzzle. So here's a, puzzle, here's a piece of a puzzle from, uh, from, from my house. And you look at this and you're just like, well, this could be a cloud. Um, this could be, I don't know what this could be. This could be so many different things. And if you're new to the Bible, you might have like little tiny pieces and you might be reading your Bible like this and you're like, I don't know what the heck is going on. Like, what is this? And why is this person talking like this? And like, I don't get it. And it's easy to give up if this is all you have. I mean, this would be really frustrating, wouldn't it? Or what if you have a bunch of pieces, but you don't have the actual picture of the puzzle? That's challenging. It's hard for you to put a puzzle together like that. So the best thing you can do, what do you do when you have a puzzle? You, uh, you look at the cover, don't you? You look at the picture. All right, this is my kid's glow-in-the-dark Tyrannosaurus Rex puzzle. Can you borrow it? No, you can't, because we love this at our house. But you need the picture, and then this makes so much more sense, right? And so I think sometimes people start with the Bible and just expect, expecting like, oh, the pieces, I'll figure it out. But it really helps when you get a big picture like this. So that's why, guys, whenever we dedicate a baby and we give away the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I always say, you know, hey, I recommend this for adults too. I know you think that I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. If you don't know where to start with the scriptures, I would say get the Jesus Storybook Bible. I know it's a kid's Bible. Whatevs, all right? Who cares? Just open up this, just read that Bible. You could read it in like a couple hours or maybe even less. And you know what you're going to get? Whoa, big picture view. Oh, this is, I see. And then it's going to help you tremendously. There's all sorts of other resources to, uh, for you to be able to get a big picture. By the way, when we start small groups in a couple weeks, our whole sermon series, when we're going through these small groups, is going to be how do we have a clear, big picture understanding of, of all the different main threads that we find in Christianity throughout the Bible. So in our small groups, that's the kind of stuff we're discussing. So that's the perfect place for you to start. Next is this, dive into the deep end first before diving into the shallow end. When it comes to the scriptures, dive into the deep end, don't dive into the shallow end, all right? It just makes sense, right? You don't do that in normal life. You shouldn't do that with the Bible. But sometimes people think like, I'm going to just dive into the scriptures and I'm going to start right in the book of Revelation. That's a, bad That's a bad place to dive in, everybody. I'm just telling you, all right? Or it's like, you know what? I hear there's differing opinions about gender roles in the Bible. I'm going to start there. No, don't start there. Or it's like, I heard that there's something called speaking in tongues. I'm going to like, I'm going to start there. No. See, these are, these are some sh like shallow end you know, sort of things that there's, that there are in there. But they're also like, there's a lot of different viewpoints within Christianity about what this means and how we're supposed to interact with that. So I would suggest there's, dive into the deep end in the places where there's tons and tons of deep consensus throughout Christians, throughout, alive today and throughout history. Things like Jesus, who he is, his death, his resurrection, what the, who, who we are as his followers, what does discipleship look like? I mean, those things are the places you need to dive in first. And once you dive into the deep end and get a little comfortable, then you start exploring the shallow end and you start investigating some of those other things um, that are uh, interesting but not foundational. I love what Mark Twain said. He said that it isn't the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. I love that quote. Um, next question is, are we really supposed to take the Bible literally? You're going to get this question if you've been a Christian for any length of time. And you've thought about it too. And I've thought about it. And it's one of the questions that I get most from people who are kind of like, can you really take this literally? 
I mean, there's like a fish that swallows somebody in here. And I mean, I mean, gosh, there's all sorts of things. I mean, what are you, how are you supposed to, are you supposed to take the Bible literally? And here's my answer. And I'm going to give you my answer and I give you permission to use this answer if you want. Okay, you don't have to. You can come up with your own answer. Um, but my answer to that question is yes. We're supposed to take the Bible literally. We're supposed to take it literally. Some parts are literally metaphor. Some parts are literally history. Some parts are literally eyewitness accounts. Some parts are literally apocalyptic drama. You know, some parts are literally allegory. See, you see what I mean? Is yes, we take this literally, but we have to take into account the genre, the many different genres of literature that we find in there. Um, and so it becomes, it becomes, you know, kind of, Kind of, kind of tricky sometimes to kind of wade into there. But uh, I take the Bible literally, literally true. And by taking it literally true, it means that you have to take the genre of each kind of literature that you're reading. You have to take that into account too. That's a responsible way uh, to read the scripture. Um, next is what am I supposed to do when I read it? What am I supposed to do when I read this thing? Um, well, the funny thing is, like I said before, that it reads us as much as we read it. So it's kind of a unique book in that way. Um, but my, the answer to that would be, it kind of depends on what you're supposed to do when you read this. Um, we are starting a group in a couple weeks. Sarah Creighton's going to lead. It's uh, one of the groups that you're welcome to join. It's going to be like the Navy SEALs of Bible readers in this next year. But it's going to be read through the Bible in 90 days. And in that sort of a group, it's going to be, you're going to have a lot of chapters to read every day. And if you stay faithful with that, you're going to have the whole Bible read in 90 days. And that's a really cool way to read the Bible because uh, you don't piecemeal it out. You get big picture stuff. And what you read this week is like connects with the thing you read last week and you're just getting it all in you. And so you're reading it to just kind of like read it through. That's one great way to read it. For most of us, though, if you're not doing it that way, then you're reading this a little bit more kind of devotionally. And so in that case, if you're reading it that way, then you don't, the point isn't to just like read through it, right? That's not the point. The point is to, to chew on it, to, to meditate on it. And so in that case, maybe you're supposed to read three chapters that day, but you get like half a chapter in and you butt right up against something that's just gold, something you've never seen before, just something that's just reading you as much as you're reading it. And so maybe that, that's where you stop. You stop right there. You think about it. You get a piece of paper. You kind of write some stuff down about it. You just, God, what are you, what are you trying to say to me here? What does this mean for me? And so you might not get through three chapters. That's okay. There's a lot for you to get to tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So it depends. But here's my, here's my suggestion is you got to have a strategy. You got to have the right strategy when it comes to reading the Bible. Now, I know what some people say, they say, strategy, why am I supposed to, the Bible's supposed to be easy. Can it be easy? Can it be easier? And my response to you would be, you know what, there's rarely things that are, that are like good, good, all the best things in life, they're not easy. They're not easy. And so the Bible's not easy either, so we shouldn't expect it to be easy. But then there's other people that say, you know, like when it comes to the Bible, um, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Have you heard that before? Uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And the thing is, is the Bible's a little bit more nuanced than that. It takes a strategy to kind of understand. So here's, here's some, some Bible College 101 stuff for you this morning, all right? You guys ready? So one of the first things that we're supposed to do, when, when one important strategy that we have uh, for reading the scriptures is, uh, is we need to, you need to take a moment and you need to say, what was the deal about, uh, it's called, the, the word for it is exegesis. It's three words. It's, it's then, there, and them. Then, there, and them. First, you have to ask the question, 
who was it, who was the writer and who, what were they saying to the people at the time and what did it mean for them at the time? This is kind of like the biblical task of exegesis. You can't just take a verse and read it and be like, boom, and just apply it straight to you all the time because it meant something to them. And so you have to do a little digging. So study Bibles and Bibles with footnotes can be really, really, really helpful here because you have to pause and you have to say, okay, what did this mean for them? And when you start doing that, it starts to kind of open up new worlds for how we then apply it to us. And I'll get to that in a second. But before we apply it off, we have to do, we have to apply it to us. We have to do the work of exegesis. And that helps us. It opens up new things, but it also protects us from coming away with like strange interpretations. I was watching a movie the other night where there was some like, it was in an Appalachian church where they were doing the snake handling. Have you ever seen this? I just, guys, if you're new to our church, I just promise we don't handle snakes here, all right? Like, um, that's good news. There's churches that handle, like, they do this, like, snake handling thing. And you know where they get that from? There's, like, one verse in the New Testament that kind of, like, kind of mentions it. But you read it and you're like, I'm not sure if that's what it means. But people take that verse and then just apply it and do it. It's strange how people can read the same text and come away with all sorts of different interpretations, right? The classic example would be there was white slave owners in the South that used the Bible and used it in a way that said, look, this says that we should have slaves. But then the abolitionists came along and used the same Bible and some of the same verses to prove that, no, 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 we shouldn't be owning slaves. What in the world's going on with a Bible where you can read the same stuff and come away with all sorts of different interpretations. And the answer is the exegesis, what I just told you. If you just take a verse and you just apply it straight to you, you're gonna might maybe come away with some strange things. So that's why you have to ask the question, who was it for? Who was it for? Otherwise, the Bible can become this really confusing thing. I have a couple pictures to help illustrate. You guys ready? Um, you, guys, you guys really like, uh, I love optical illusions. Let's do that first one. So here's a great example. You see this? Do you guys see a rabbit or do you see a duck? duck. Yeah, can you see it? Right? All right, what's the next one? I like this one. Okay, do you see a vase or do you see two people staring at each other? Two people. You see that? Oh, weird. Weird. All right, this next one's my favorite. What do you see? Do you see Wolverine? Or do you see two Batman staring at each other? Batman. It's trippy, right? And a lot of people, we read these passages, and if you don't ask the question, who was it to and what was it saying, then you're going to come away with these strange visions and pictures. And unfortunately, sometimes it's when we don't read the Bible responsibly like that, it creates these kind of backwards communities that the rest of the world looks at and says, oh my gosh, if that's what Christianity is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And guys, unfortunately, it's because they didn't read their Bibles well. So we have to do the exegesis. And then when we do that, then finally we can move to the now, here, and us. It's called hermeneutics. Okay, so if I know what the Bible is saying to the people then, then now I can, it sheds light on what does this mean for me, for us, for our context today? And that's a responsible way. So when you read the Bible, those are some important things that you got to do. And there's some all different acrostics that people use to help them do that. Um, we're in Eugene, and so we're in the shadow of Wayne Cadero. And Wayne Cadero have, has done some incredible work in helping people understand SOAP. Have you guys heard of SOAP before? So SOAP is when you read the Bible, you can, do, you can use the, the, the SOAP method, which is scripture, observation, application, prayer. You read a scripture, 
What does it say? What does it mean? Then you make some observations. You do some exegesis. What did it mean for the people at that time? What was the author trying to do? And then you move to application. What does this mean for me? And then at the end of the application is, God, help me put the things that I've read today into practice. Because that's the point of what the scripture is trying to do. Or another one that I like is Triple H. It's head, heart, hands. That one's been helpful for me too. First is, okay, Lord, what does it say? And then what is it saying to my heart? How do you, you want to impact me today? And then what does this mean in my day-to-day life with how I'm going to live my life? Head, heart, hands. Whichever one works for you, use it. Um, what do you do with the disturbing parts of Scripture? That's the next one. What do you do with the disturbing parts? Um, there are some parts that are really, really confusing. Here's one helpful thing that I'd, I'd, I'd suggest is you need to, we all need to kind of delineate between what is, what things in the Bible are prescriptive and what things in the Bible are descriptive. Maybe you've heard that before. But remember that the Bible's a narrative. So for instance, when you go into the Old Testament and you see a lot of people killing each other, you're like, oh Lord, what is going on here? There just seems like a lot of violence. And so is this like God saying that like it's okay to be violent? Like, man, it seems like that that's might be what it's saying. And guys, that's, that's not what it's saying. The ancient world was very, very violent. Our world today is very violent as well. But the point of like telling us those stories about violence isn't to like prescribe to us that we're supposed to do the same thing today. No, no, no. It's describing what happened in that day and in that time and how God worked with those people in that day and that time. And it's an important delineation because otherwise you can end up like in the conversation that I had with this one guy one time um, at the last church that I was at. We had just, in, we had just uh, instituted uh, electronic check-in for all the kids. And so parents would come in and, you know, check their kids in electronically and it would print out name tags and stuff. And I, a guy came up to me and I was one of the pastors on staff and he came up to me and he was like holding his coffee and he was just angry about something. He's like, oh, church today, using all these computers. Like, man, people checking in their kids with computers. Like, man, that is not how the early church did it. We need to get back to how the early church did church. We need to get back to Acts kind of church where we don't have computers running things. Because that's what the Bible says. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. Is that coffee that you're drinking right there? Yeah, man, I don't think the early church had coffee. Yeah, they didn't. No, I think they were drinking like goat milk or something. I don't know. Oh, and did you drive here in a car? Because, oh, man, you're probably going to have to sell it and buy a camel because they didn't have cars. And um, you, you see where that gets nutty, you know? Because the Bible says it, therefore we're supposed to do it that way all the time. Like, oh man, you got to ask those questions. See, this is not easy. That's why you got to have a strategy. And therefore, um, I'm going to skip ahead because I need to get to the end. Here's, my, here's, here's some encouraging things that we need to kind of wrap up with. Number one is my encouragement to you is keep at it. Keep at it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes it's easy to give up when it comes to reading the scripture. But don't give up. You can do it. And the way that you can do it, one of the best ways is the next one, Wiz, is this, is make sure, make sure that you read it with community. Because reading scripture with community just makes it more fun and it makes it better. That's how scripture is best read within community. You know when you, read a, when you watch a movie and you watch a movie and you're like, man, what? And afterwards you're talking to your friends and you're like, why did that guy kill that guy? Like, I don't understand. I was so confused. 
And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. They were like, they were, oh, you thought they were friends. No, they weren't friends. They were actually enemies. Remember that part? And you're like, oh, yeah, I missed that part. You know, sometimes you need each other to help understand the plots of things and the story of things. And that's what reading scripture does in community. When you read it together in a small group or you're unpack unpacking something, it's like, oh, like you got that. Oh, wow, you got that. Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't see that before. And suddenly the scripture comes alive. Maybe you've never had that experience before. You need to have that experience. That's why I want you to get in a group. In these groups that we're starting, in fact, on your chairs are these little pieces of paper. In a couple of weeks, we're starting some groups where the point is you're going to get in a group and you're going to have a good meal. You get to know some people in somebody's living room and laugh a bit and make some friendships. But we're also going to unpack what we talked about in the sermon, you know, that particular week. And we're just going to unpack like what the scripture is trying to say to us, those things. And guys, I have a suspicion that the scripture might come alive to you because you've never done it in that context yet. Get in one of those groups, fill out one of those cards, bring it to the back at the end and we'll help you get in a group. But the scripture can come alive. Last thing is this. Last is this, because I got to close. The Bible is going, remember this, the Bible is going for the heart. It's going for your heart. It's not just going for your head. I hope it goes for your head too. But the Bible is going for the heart. And that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what you need. That's exactly what our world needs. We're in the beginning of a new year, aren't we? And so we're all making our New Year's resolutions and trying to stick to them. And the new year promises new year, new you. Right? New year, new you. And there's going to be no end to the keto diets. And there's going to be no end to the CrossFit classes. And there's going to be no end, you know, to the, to the, you know, the trends and the, you know, the things that it's promising that, hey, new year, new you. If you do this, you're going to have a new you. But listen, all that stuff focuses on behavior and doesn't focus on the heart. And if you do all the, you know, if you make your resolutions and you focus on all the behavior stuff, it isn't going to be new year, new you. It's going to be new year, same you. And nothing's going to change and you're just going to have some different hobbies. The only thing that's going to be able to get to the heart is this. It's going for the heart. It wants to transform you from the inside out. God wants to speak to you this year. Would you let him do it through the scriptures? It won't be easy. It's going to take some, it's going to be challenging. It's going to take some strategy. It's going to take some time. It's going to, it's going to have us, it's going to require us to push down some of our laziness so that we can actually say yes to some of the most important things. But I just want to encourage our church. I want to encourage my heart. Yes, let's do this. Let's make this a year where we engage with the scriptures.